Andrew Womack Ministries presents part one in the How to Fulfill God's Will series, a five-part album. This message is titled, Learn to Obey. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. I'm going to be ministering all of this weekend on how to uh, fulfill God's will for your life. And this is actually a follow-up to two other Gospel Truth Seminars that I've done this year. I started out in Orlando and I taught on how to find God's will. And then when I was in Atlanta, I taught on how to follow God's will. Some people run all of this together, but you know, it's one thing to find God's will. That's an important step. And that's what I spent five teachings establishing about how important it is to know that God created you with a purpose. And I'm not going to go back and teach over that. But you know, uh, when I taught on that in Orlando, we had about 80, at least, maybe 90% of the people stood to say that they don't know for certain that they are fulfilling or have found God's will for their life. And you know, that's tragic. I can guarantee you, you will not fulfill God's will accidentally. Fate doesn't just make you all of a sudden find God's will. There's a lot of people that just assume that we just do the best we can and God sovereignly controls and makes things happen. I spent a lot of time teaching against that. There are scriptural examples that you have to, God will show you His will and then you have to pursue it. It does not automatically come to pass. And most people do not have an, a definite revelation of God's will for their life. So that's the first thing I taught about. But then I used Moses as an example and other people to show that even though you know God's will, that doesn't mean that you're going to follow it and do it God's way. We tend to lean unto our own understanding. And there are many people that have a revelation or at least some, some degree of understanding about God's will for their life. But they're going about it in their own strength and in their own power, and they mess things up tremendously. So it's not enough just to find God's will. You've got to learn how to follow God's will. And I spent counting those two uh, gospel truth seminars. There's 10 teachings on just that. But then you have to also learn how to fulfill. It's one thing to find what God's will is and start moving in that direction. But did you know really anybody can start? Amen. <laughs> it's not the starters that we talk about. It's the people that learn how to finish. And if I had time, I think I could uh, prove this to a greater degree, but really it doesn't need proving. Every one of us have seen people that have started out well and they fall by the wayside. They get shot down along the way. And I tell you, there are, the body of Christ is just strong. The way is, you know, just cluttered with people who have fallen out by the wayside. I've actually heard a statistic, I don't know if it's accurate or not, but that there's something like 80% of all spirit-filled Christians that don't even go to church. I don't know if it's that high, I don't even know if that's accurate, but I bet you that it's close to 50% or more. Some of you don't have the perspective of going through the charismatic move, and I mean... There were millions and millions and millions of people touched by the power of God in a significant way. And not all of those are in church today. If they were, our churches couldn't hold all of the people. There's lots of people that have been touched by God and at one time were on fire for God. And today, other people around them couldn't even tell that they had a relationship with God. And I'm not 
meaning to say something bad, but I'm saying if these statistics hold true, which again, I don't know if it's 80%, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's not 50%. And if those statistics hold true, then just take 50% of this group right here. There's some of you right now that, you know, the very fact that you're at this meeting, this isn't your nod to God crowd on Sunday morning. You aren't paying your debt, your duty. You're probably the fanatics that come out here on a Thursday night to listen to somebody. So this isn't your average crowd, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if there isn't a large percentage of people sitting right here that right now you're excited and you're seeking and you're wanting the things of the Lord, but there's not everybody is going to finish their race. And so you've not only got to find God's will and learn how to start following and not leaning under your own understanding, but you have to learn how to fulfill God's will. And that's what I'm going to be focused on. Let me also say that I've already found God's will for my life without a shadow of a doubt. And I know it. And so I spoke with a boldness and an authority that comes from the fact that I can prove to you I found God's will for my life. And I've also been following God's will for my life. So those two things are already passed. And I've spoken with a great degree of authority on that. You know what? I haven't finished my course yet. I'm closer than I used to be. But it'll be until either the Lord comes back or until I go to be with the Lord, whether you see whether I'm able to continue on. But I've been at it now for 42 years and I have no plans of turning back. And God has spoken some supernatural things to me. And I really believe that I've got some things to share about how do you stay on track? How do you keep what God has done in your life fresh? It's really up to you. It's not God that determines whether you continue on or not. You know, there's so many people today that they come and they talk about, have you gotten hungry? Have you gotten dry? Are you not, have you left your first love? Are you, and they talk about all of these things and they want a new outpouring and a fresh touch and oh God, come and revive us. And there's truths in all of that. I hadn't got time to say everything I know in these series. There are partial truths there, but the one thing that's wrong with all of that is most people... When they get dry, when they get hungry, when they feel like that their life has leveled out and they don't any longer have that same momentum that they used to have, basically they go back to God and say, Oh God, what's wrong? God, would you touch me? And they are waiting on God to do something in their life. It is not God that knocks the wind out of your sails. It is not God who has determined that his power in your life just ceases after a certain period of time. It has an expiration date on it and you have to have a new fresh touch from God all of the time. It's totally up to you whether you stay full of God. It's up to you how full of the joy of the Lord you are. Thank you for that amen and right on. <laughs> rest of you are thinking about this like, no, no, we've got to pray and ask God to pour out his spirit. As if God is the one up there with his arms folded saying, no, I'm not going to do anything until another hundred thousand of you get to praying. It's not God who's held back revival. You know who's held back revival? People sitting right here in these seats. All of us. You're the one that determines how much of the God is flowing in this earth. God isn't the one that determines it. If it was up to God, everybody would be overwhelmed with the power of God. But the problem is he has to flow through people and we limit God and our traditions and doctrines of man and different things stop it. And so anyway, there's some things I'm going to be sharing with you that I believe are going to make a huge, huge difference. 
And so let me just say that this is a continuation of talking about how to find God's will. And if you don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt what God's will is, you need that first teaching on how to find God's will. If you have even found God's will and have maybe a direction, but you don't know how to follow God, you need that second teaching. And then, yes, this is going to benefit all of you, but you really need to get this as a set. We've actually entitled it our God's Will Package. And there's going to be a total of three albums, 15 teachings. We've already got, I think we have the two previous teachings on how to find God's will and how to follow God's will. They're already back there from those two previous things. I'll be teaching this. I think it starts in um, July on our television broadcast. We've already made the programs, but I think it's July it'll start. But you can go ahead and get that and it'll be a blessing to you. Let's turn over to the book of Isaiah chapter 1. And I'm going to share a really, really simple truth with you tonight that is so simple, you've got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand this. But you know what? We've had a lot of help. And this can really, really help you. It's so simple, again, that it's... You shouldn't even have to say this, but it's amazing how many people don't understand this. And let me give a, one last word of introduction before I get right into it. I teach on the grace of God so much so that I have thousands of people talk about that they've been under this legalistic thing, thinking God will only move in their life if they do everything right. And they've got to earn this as a way that most people have been taught. They think they have to be holy enough. And I really preach that God's never had anybody qualified working for Him yet. That none of us deserve things. You have to just humble yourself and receive it as a gift. And I emphasize this. And I think this is one of the things that God has raised this ministry up is because it's not being emphasized in the body of Christ the way that it should. And there are millions of people getting set free. These groups that just came back from Thailand and Nicaragua, they were just constantly saying these people don't know the simplest little truth that God's not mad at them and that He's a good God. And when you share these truths, miracles happen. Miracles happen. And I am convinced that that message on the grace of God is true. But there is this pendulum effect that, you know, the body of Christ, in my estimation, is way out of balance over here, talking about that you've got to be holy, you've got to earn the things of God, you've got to do all of this. And then they hear somebody preaching on the grace of God, and they think, man, it's not according to my holiness. Even though I haven't done everything right, I have a Savior, and I receive it through a Savior. And so they come from this extreme over here, and instead of stopping in the middle with that truth, they go to another extreme over here to where, well, then praise God, it doesn't matter what I do. I don't have to do anything. It's all Jesus. Well, there is a balance. And you know, this book that I have entitled Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith addresses this same thing. But I'm saying that there is a tendency for people who have been extreme over here in legalism to hear the truth about the freedom and the liberty in Christ. And they come over to a place to where they, they just quit living a holy life. And not only talking about the big cardinal sins, but they just quit seeking the Lord as much and they quit doing things because after all, they don't have to do it. It's all up to God. What I'm going to share with you tonight, and this is real simple, is that if you want to fulfill God's will in your life, if you've already seen it, know what it is, if you've started following God, if you want to finish your course and cross the finish line a winner, you're going to have to learn to obey God. And this is a dirty word to some people. 
And even some people who've been set free from the legalism have gone to another extreme. But there is an obedience that goes along with being able to see God's will fulfilled in your life. You're going to have to learn to obey God. And this verse right here in Isaiah chapter 1 and in verse... Um, let me read verse 18. It says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be as red, red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I'm not going to spend a lot of time preaching on this verse, but you could make the case very strong from this verse on the grace of God. Nobody ever got forgiven and their sins changed from crimson to being as white as snow through their own goodness because they deserved it. Nobody deserves forgiveness. We have a Savior that prayed for our sins and that's the only way that we can get our sins dealt with like this. So verse 18 is talking about the grace of God and then in verse 19 it says, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. So it talks about the grace of God. How do your sins get forgiven? It's only by what Jesus did and you can't make yourself cleanse. It goes on to talk about that the leper can't cleanse his own spots. A, a leper can't, I mean the leopard can't get rid of his spots. You have to have God supernaturally touch you. That's the grace of God. But on the other hand, you also have to obey what God tells you to do if you are going to finish your course and fulfill what God has given you to do. Now, if you don't obey, this doesn't change God's grace. God still loves you. And God's not going to be upset at you because he accepts you through Jesus. And so there's a difference between what I'm saying here and what so much of the body of Christ is preaching that if you don't obey, you aren't going to prosper. But then they leave the impression that it's God who's not going to use you. God will put you on the shelf because you didn't do what he told you to do. God's not going to use a dirty vessel. They'll say things like that often. I want you to know that God hadn't got any other kind of vessel to use. If you, if you ever, if you take what I'm going to say during these meetings and get into this thing about, well, then I've got to do everything right or God won't bless me. No, God has blessed you by grace. God has already made a provision. He has a purpose for you that is completely separate from what you deserve. But does that mean that you have nothing to do? No, if you don't obey God, if you don't follow his leading. Satan is going to take advantage of your disobedience and he is going to steal, kill, and to destroy. In uh, Romans chapter 6 verse 16 it says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants you are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Whoever you obey is going to dominate you. He's going to control you. And God can call you. But that doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to fulfill that call because you've got to follow his leading. You know, in my own personal life, God called me into the ministry. He hadn't called every person into the ministry, but you should be able to make some applications from what I'm saying. But God called me into the ministry and he has told me to do things. He's told me to do some things that are just uh, different. I've done things that... You know, I was praising God for Jamie this last week because there's probably not another woman on the earth that would have stayed with me through some of the things that I've done. God's called me to do things and go places that it just defies logic. And you know what? He called me not because I deserved it. If I was God, I wouldn't have picked me. 
I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I just am thankful that God chose me. But he didn't call me because I was perfect or because I had everything going. Man, he chose me in spite of who I was. That's grace. But if I hadn't have obeyed him and followed his leading, I wouldn't be where I am. I wouldn't be seeing people's lives changed and we wouldn't be having the success and doing all of these things. There were steps that I had to take to obey him. I remember when we finally had the very first church that it looked like we were going to survive, <laughs> that we were actually going to live. We saw light at the end of the tunnel and it wasn't a train. It was a way out. It looked like we were going to survive for the first time and we were succeeding and had money and food to eat for the first time in our married life. And it looked like we were going to make it. And then God called me to go to Pritchett, Colorado with 10 people in a church that hated me. It looked absolutely stupid. I had a group of about maybe 50, 60 people. That wasn't huge, but we were surviving and it was working and we were seeing people, uh, miracles happen, blind eyes open, people brought in ambulances and being healed and we were succeeding. And I'd started our radio ministry and for the first time in our life, people were coming to our meetings and things were beginning to work and God told me to leave that and go to Pritchett, Colorado. I don't, has anybody in here ever been to Pritchett, Colorado? Here's one right here. Man, that's awesome. It's not the end of the world, but you can see the end of the world from Pritchett, Colorado. It's that close. The very first time I ever drove through there, we had another couple in our car. And I remember saying, who would live in this God forsaken place? And I started joking around with Don Crow, who was in the car. And I said, Don, I believe God's calling you to preach in Colorado. It wasn't a month until I was living there. And you know what? If I hadn't have obeyed God, that didn't look smart. God had placed in my heart a vision of reaching people all over the world. And I believe that what God had given me to share with people was going to literally affect the entire body of Christ. And then he told me to go to Pritchett, Colorado. And that's not a stepping stone to any place. The only way you can leave Pritchett is feet first in a casket. There was no way to prosper. And it looked like the death of my vision. And yet, did you know, I could spend the rest of the night telling you about miracle after miracle after miracle that happened, how that it was when I was in Pritchett, Colorado, that a man came and said, I'm paying for you to go on radio and caused our radio ministry to take off and just thing after thing after thing after thing. And now that I look back, I can't see a path to where I am today without going through Pritchett. But you know what? I couldn't see it at the time. It looked like just, this is it. It's over. God, I'm going to obey you. But I had learned that I needed to obey God. And I knew that that's what God called me to do. And I'm saying that, you know, God's love for me would have been the exact same. He wouldn't have changed. And if I would have messed up, I don't believe God's mad at me. Any more than like a soldier that goes out and fights and the very first day of battle gets shot and killed. And we honor those people. You give them medals posthumously or however you say that. We honor those people. I believe God will honor people that make mistakes and that because of their own fears and insecurity didn't go ahead and fulfill everything. 
But I tell you, God's grace would have been fine. He would have still honored me and rewarded me and blessed me on, on the, to the degree that I had followed him. But you know what? If I hadn't have obeyed God, I can guarantee you we would not be doing the things that we're doing. We wouldn't be touching millions and millions of people and seeing people set free and delivered and all of these things. And I could just continue to give you other steps. The Lord spoke to me big time. Uh, January the 31st, 2002. And I think I'll probably talk more about that during this meeting. And that was a major thing. And if I hadn't made the adjustments and have obeyed God and done what he told me to do, there would be millions of people today that God had planned on me to reach and to be a part of him touching their lives that I wouldn't be touching today because I was fearful and I didn't obey God. So here's a real simple truth. If you are going to fulfill God's will... You have to obey what God says and not lean under your own understanding. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. And brothers and sisters, I can't tell you the number of people that have come to me and have told me that God has spoken something to them. They know that this is what God is telling them to do, but, and then they tell me all of the reasons why they can't do it. They tell me about their limitation in their own natural ability. I'm not able to do this. They tell me about that they don't have enough money. They tell me that this happened. We've had people come to our, uh, or want to come to our Bible school who came to these meetings and say, but I've got two dogs. I know God's calling me, but I got two dogs. What would I do? How could I come to school if I have two dogs? And you know, the director of our Bible school at that time, he was a lot more kind than I was. He says, last I checked, they allowed dogs in Colorado. Bring them with you. <laughs> I just told her, kill them. <laughs> I know some of you are going to get on my case. I really didn't want her to kill them, but I'm just trying to put down the fact that what's important here. It's amazing how we let things stand in the way. Well, I've got a goldfish that if I came to... You know what? You got to learn to obey God. I've had people come and say, but my, my parents, my husband, my wife, my children, they don't, they don't understand. If you wait until everything in your life lines up, until all the planets are in the right alignment before you do what God tells you to do, you are never going to fulfill what God has placed on your life. Jamie and I haven't done everything right, but you know what? We've been quick to obey. We have stepped out. We've done things that if our students were to go and try and do things the way that I did it, I'd say, you're going to die. It'll never work. We didn't use our head the best we could. We haven't done everything right. We've made a lot of mistakes, but you know what? We have stepped out and tried to obey God when it looked like certain death. I'm just trying to get across that if you want to fulfill what God has put in your life, you've got to be willing to obey, willing and obedient before you eat the good of the land. That is so simple. And yet I can guarantee you, if I could sit down with every person in here, there are people in this room tonight that God has put something on your heart and you have reasons that you haven't done it. That is wrong, wrong, wrong. You have to get to a place that, Father, I am going to do what you tell me to do if it hair lips every devil in hell. If it costs me every friend that I've got. 
You know, when Jamie and I first got started, we were in the Baptist church. And I'm not against the Baptist. Man, praise God, I got born again in the Baptist church. I learned some good things. I'm not anti-Baptist. But we were in the Baptist church and they didn't agree with what I was seeing. And they didn't enjoy it. And you know what? I had a decision to make. Am I going to go on with God? And we literally had to walk away from the people that were our very best friends. People told us we were of the devil. And we left with people rebuking us and saying terrible things about us. It cost us some of our very best friends. And there are some of you that God has laid things on your heart, but you won't do it because you've got a circle of friends that you just love their friendship so much you won't step out. I'm telling you, you will not see the fulfillment of God's will in your life like that. I had family that told me I was of the devil. I had family that quit talking to me. I got in big time trouble. I've been kidnapped. I've been threatened to be killed. I've had people put out a death warrant and say if I ever stepped on their property, they'd kill me. I've had a lot of things happen. And you know what? It cost you something. And there are some people that they know what God is leading them to do, but because of the resistance and the opposition, they won't do it. I'm telling you, you cannot fulfill God's will without obeying what He told you to do. The Scripture says, I believe it's in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, 27, right there somewhere. It says, the fear of man bringeth a snare. If you are afraid of people, and if you have to have their approval... 29.25, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whosoever putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. If you have to have people's approval before you step out on what God calls you to do, you're never going to make it. There are some of you that God has revealed uh, grace to you and you've started getting free. And yet I've had people tell me before, but I was born again in this church. I can't leave this church. I've had people say, my Grandfather has his name engraved on a plaque in this church. They bought this pew. I can't leave this church. And you are staying in a place that is pulling you down. And God is telling you that you need to go on. And yet you won't obey because it's going to cost you. Well, you know, your family wouldn't understand. People couldn't understand different things. You just can't reason things out on your own. When the Lord first spoke to me about leaving the Baptist church, I believe he spoke to me two years before I got out of there. But you know, I, I just could, I, I was asking this kind of question. I was saying, but God, what about the Baptists? Don't you love the Baptists? Do you want me to leave them and just let them go to hell? What's God going to answer to a question like that? Is he going to say, yes, let all of the Baptists go to hell and just follow me? No, that's not what he's going to say. He loves Baptists. If I would have said, Father, do you want me to stay here? He might have answered that differently. But how you ask a question is important. And, I, and so for two years, God, I, I, I was no longer accepted. They were telling me that I was of the devil. Every time I would speak, they would pour hot, cold water on it and tell me that this isn't of God. And man, I wanted to run someplace where people would receive the message instead of reject it. But every time I'd pray about it, I'd say, God, do you want me to just leave the Baptist and forget about them? And he wouldn't say yes to that kind of question. And it took about two years for it to get through my thick head that, you know what, I could do more to help the Baptist by going on with God and getting into the things of God and learning the Word. And now I am reaching 
thousands and hundreds of thousands of Baptists and helping people. I'm doing more to help them now than I would have to stay there and die. I couldn't understand that. I didn't know exactly what, what God was going to do. But finally, I knew that this is what God told me to do was to leave. And even though I, I didn't enjoy it and I felt grieved in some way that I was leaving some of my best friends and stuff, I knew I had to obey God. And if I hadn't have obeyed God, did you know God still would have loved me? But someday I would have got to heaven. And he says, look what could have happened if you would have obeyed me. Instead of just reaching a small segment of the body of Christ, you could have reached any type of person in the body of Christ. God would have loved me, but you've got to obey God if you want to see His will come to pass. It's really simple. But God is going to give you steps that you have to do in order to fulfill. And you can find God's will. You can even start following God's will. But if somewhere down the line you come to a fork in the road and you decide to go your own way and not follow God, you aren't going to fulfill what God's plans for your life are. They do not automatically come to pass. You have to be willing and obedient before you eat the good of the land. Turn over to the book of James and let me just reinforce this with some scripture here. In James chapter 1, in verse 22, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his face in a glass. Talking about in a mirror. For he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, that man, this man, shall be blessed in his deed. Again, he's saying here that you can't just be a person who hears the word of God. You have to do what God's word says before you see the will of God fulfilled. In your life. Again, this is so simple that you'd think you wouldn't have to say this, and yet it is amazing to me how many people come to me and ask me something and they aren't doing what God told them to do. Let me ask you this why would God give you step number two or step number 10 if you haven't obeyed step number one? All that would do is make you more accountable, all it would do is make your failure that much greater. God will reveal things to you step by step by step. It says in uh, Romans chapter 12 verse 2 that you should not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will comes in stages, good, acceptable, and perfect. He shows you things step by step. And there are people that haven't taking these steps because they're saying, oh God, if I do this, what's going to happen if I step out? And they're trying to figure it out. They're leaning under their own understanding. God's not going to tell you the next step until you first of all obey the one that he's given you. You have to be quick to do it. And brothers and sisters, I know in my heart that there's people right here in this room that you have more revelation from God than what you're acting on. For instance... This could apply, and you could just start naming hundreds of different things. But I talked about uh, honoring the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of your increase. You have revelation from the Word of God that you're supposed to tithe, that you're supposed to give. 
And some of you know that, and yet you lean under your own understanding and you aren't obeying God in that area and you're wondering why other things aren't working. You know, I've got a teaching on this from Luke chapter 16 where Jesus said that if you aren't faithful in that which is least, you won't be faithful over much. And we apply that in all different ways. But if you were to go study that out, Luke chapter 16 is talking about finances being the least area of trusting God that there is. It is the smallest use of your faith. It is not for the super saint. It's not only for the spiritually mature. Trusting God with your finances is baby stuff. And yet I find people all the time that say, oh, well, I believe I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. But I can't trust that promise about give and it shall be given unto you. I can't do that. I need this money. You're telling me that you can't trust God for something that the Bible says is least, but you can trust him for that which is greatest, your eternal redemption. That's like a person telling me I can't jump from uh, here to the front row, but I can jump from here all the way to the back of this room. You can do the greatest, but you can't do the least. I can tell you, if you aren't trusting him in the least, you aren't trusting him in the greatest. If you're saying, I can't trust... The same God who promised that if you would confess him with your mouth, that he is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That same God said, give and it shall be given unto you. And if you can't trust one, then I believe you're deceived. That's what this says. If any man is a hearer, but he doesn't do it, he's deceiving his own self. And so if you can't do that which is least, you can't do that which is greatest. And this is the very reason that some of you aren't being healed. Because you know what? You can't lift 100 pounds until you've learned to lift 5 pounds. If you haven't trusted God in your finances and begin to honor Him there, and if you aren't obeying Him there, why should He give you these more important things? Well, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church. There are some of you thinking that you're making a connection here that God's not making. I'm not going to preach on finances tonight, but I'm telling you that I'm, everything I'm saying is exactly right. There are some of you that have revelation from the Word of God about giving, and you know you should be giving, but you feel like you need it. And oh God, I don't have enough. God didn't say if you have enough, and if you feel like you've got enough, well then go ahead and give. No, it's a command. It's a command. And you know what? If you don't give, God loves you. But I'm telling you, you are hindering your own self. I could show you thousands of people that I consider to be mature Christians, people that, man, you can trust. They're going on with God. And you know, every one of them, without an exception, is a giver. They trust God and honor Him. You cannot become mature without trusting God in your finances. Conversely, I know thousands of Christians who look good on the outside but you aren't sure that they're going to be with God next year when you come back. You aren't sure if they're going to go on with God. And without exception, they do not trust God in their giving. I'm telling you, this isn't for just the super saint. This is baby stuff, trusting God in your finances. And there are some of you that know what the Word of God says about finances, and yet you aren't doing it. And you wonder why you aren't prospering over here in your physical body and being healed. It's not that God is saying, I'm not going to heal you until you trust me. No, it's just that you've got to start with where you are. You've got to lift five pounds before you lift a hundred. And if you aren't trusting God in this area of finances, Satan is using that fear that you are embracing and encouraging in your life to stop your physical healing. It's not God who won't bless you. 
It's Satan who is stealing from you because you have obeyed him. Remember that Romans 6, 16, that to whomsoever you yield yourself servants to obey his servants, you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. If you aren't trusting God in the area of finances, you are yielding to Satan, the author of that fear and of that greed and of that selfishness. And it is allowing Satan to hinder you and it could stop your healing. It could stop your marriage from working because you aren't trusting God. On the other hand, you begin to start trusting God. And I tell you, when you start trusting God in your finances, it's like blinders fall off of your eyes. You begin to get revelation of the word that you never had before. And you start seeing God supernaturally supply and it just makes you grow spiritually. Obeying God is important. And there are some of you that know what the Word says about giving and yet you don't do it. There are some of you that know what the Word of God says about don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together and yet you don't do it. There are some of you who know about honoring your wife and loving your wife and doing this and you know what the Word says about on and on we could go. You could talk about just a lot of things. God has spoken to you and yet we don't obey and then we wonder why we're struggling. Satan gains inroad into your life through actions. I've got a teaching set entitled The Authority of the Believer. And in there I talk about how that Satan did not have authority to oppress the earth. Man was the one that was given authority and it's only when we yield to him, we are the one that empowers the devil. We are the one who give him his power and authority. And the number one way you do it is by your actions. If you know that God told you to do something and you don't do it, you are yielding yourself to Satan, the author of that temptation, fear, whatever it is that's keeping you from obeying God. You are yielding to him and you are empowering Satan to stop you. Your actions are one of the most important things that you can do. Actions are important. And you can either release the power of God through your actions or you can release the power of the devil through your lack of action or wrong action. I've had people come to me before who've heard me talk on the grace of God and they say, well, I'm not really married to this person. We're just shacking up. But you know what? God loves us. And it's true. God loves you. And there are people that have taken the grace as an excuse to go live in sin like that. And you know what? I'm not going to sit there and say, no, God doesn't love you and God's mad at you and God's going to punish you. God loves you whether you're married and living a godly life in that area of sexual purity or not. And that's going to offend a lot of religious people. But it's true. Jesus ministered to the woman at the well and showed her love and said, I'll give you living water. He loved her. And he ministered to her. And God's not mad at you if you aren't married to your spouse and if you're just shacking up with somebody and acting like an animal. God loves you. But you are giving Satan inroad into your life big time by disobeying God. Your own heart is condemning you and you're trying to operate in joy and peace and you're wondering why you don't have it. It's because the Holy Spirit is grieved and he's not releasing his joy and peace. Not because he's mad at you, he's grieved. The Lord didn't tell you that you're supposed to be married and stay married to one person because he's a spoiled sport and wants to hurt you. It's because he knows what's good for you. 
God hates divorce, not the divorcee. He knows what divorce does to people. God loves you and wants only his best. And I, he told you to live a certain way because it's best for you. He created you and he knows what makes you happy. God made them Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. God said that it's not good for a man to be alone. And so he made a woman, not a mother, another man. But God loves homosexuals. He's not mad at you. God loves you, but it's not good for you. And you, by obeying something contrary to God, are giving Satan inroad into your life. And I'm telling you, if you want to see God's will fulfilled, you don't have the luxury of just giving Satan access to you and let him hinder you and do everything he can. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief comes for no other purpose except to steal, kill, and to destroy. Satan is out to kill you. Satan is out to destroy you. Satan is out to stop you from fulfilling God's will. And if you know to do something, if something is revealed in the Word of God, and if you just intentionally are not doing it, not out of ignorance, but you just are choosing to go your own way, it's like you are letting Satan come in, shoot his best shot at you, and just try and destroy your life. And then you go to God, and God, why did you let this happen? God didn't let it happen. You let it happen. You gave Satan free access to you. You gave him inroad into your life. It's like people who are trying to believe God for healing. And they've got back problems. And yet they're 200 pounds overweight. And you're saying, God, why haven't you healed my back? God's healed your back a thousand times. But your weight just keeps allowing the devil to steal from you what God has done. You can't walk in health and not have back problems and be obese. It's going to cause problems in your life. Does God love you? Is God mad at you? No, God's not mad at you. You can be fat and go to heaven. You'll get there quicker. Amen. God's not mad at you. But I'm just saying that you are giving Satan inroad into your life because you aren't obeying and you aren't taking care of your body and you aren't doing what God tells you to do. You can't go live in sin and prosper. God loves you and his, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Romans chapter 11, verse 29. God doesn't turn away from you because you aren't perfect. If he did, he'd have turned away from every one of us because none of us are perfect. But you know what? God's grace is the same, but Satan is out to hinder you and you can't just let Satan have free shots at you, come into your life and put all of these weights on you and you still cross the finish line and win the race. It doesn't work that way. You're going to have to learn to obey God. In James chapter 2, look at a few of these verses. In verse 14, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? You know, the scripture says that you are saved by faith. You're saved by grace through faith, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. The truth is faith does save. But this is saying, can faith save him? I think what this is saying is, can faith alone, a faith that doesn't have actions, can that really save a person? No. You have to believe something to the point that it causes you to act. You know, if I said that this building's on fire and everybody's going to die unless we get out of here, then if you really believe that, there would be action. Some of you might faint. Some of you might scream. Some of you might panic and start running. Others would try and find a fire extinguisher. Some might call 911. There, but if you believed what I said, you would act. 
there's room for varying actions. Not every one of us is alike. But a person who would just sit there and say, I believe, Andrew, that we're going to die if we don't move. And you just sit there and don't do anything. Your elevator doesn't go all the way to the top floor. Something's wrong with you. A normal person, if you believe something, it, you'll act on it. A person who says, oh, I believe, but you don't act on it, you don't believe. A person who says, oh, I believe that God will prosper me, that God's my source. If I give, God will give back to me, but you don't give and you quit giving. And if it, something gets hard, you don't believe. You can say you believe, but you don't believe. Your actions show what you believe. And that lack of faith is an inroad of Satan. And Satan uses that to hinder people. You've got to believe. In verse 15, it says, If a brother or a sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? In other words, a person who says, Well, be warmed and filled to a hungry person, but doesn't do anything, he says that's useless. Likewise, a person who says, Oh, I'm trusting God, but then there's no evidence of it in your life. It's not true faith. Faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. It will cause action. And your actions are vital to your faith. It goes on to say in verse uh, 18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. That is one of the most sarcastic statements in the entire Bible. You believe that there's one God? You hadn't done anything that the devil hasn't done. The devil believes to the point that he trembles. But his actions don't correspond to faith. He knows God exists, but his actions are against God. And it says in verse 20... But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? The devil believes, but his works are against God, not in agreement with God, and therefore it's not saving faith. People can say, oh, I believe that there's a God, but if your actions are contrary to Him, you don't believe with saving faith, not Bible faith. All you have is mental assent. Faith without actions, faith without corresponding actions is not true faith. Man, I could just take that statement and preach for days and days and days. How many people say, oh, I believe something, but your actions go a different direction? It's not true faith. Your actions either give Satan dominion over you or God dominion over you. Your actions are important. You know, I remember back during my poverty days when Jamie and I were struggling and I was painting a house trying to make an ends meet and I got sick and I came home at lunch and I was so sick I couldn't even sit up. And we needed the money and we were going to get paid that day if I finished up. And I came home and I was so sick I couldn't eat lunch. I felt like laying down and Jamie said, you aren't. Staying home this afternoon. We need this money. You're going back. And she says, I'm praying for you. So she prayed that I'd be healed. 
And then I wanted to lay down because I still felt bad. And Jamie says, you aren't acting sick. And she put my arm around her neck and she drugged me through the house. (laughs) Dancing and jumping. She was dancing and jumping and I was being drugged. But she says, you are getting healed. You are going back. And she made me start acting like I was healed. I didn't feel like I was healed. But see, when you act, your actions, it goes on to say, I'm not going to take time to read all of these verses, but it uses Abraham as an example. And it says, our father Abraham was justified by works when he did what God told him to do. And you see how that faith wrought with his works and by, by works was faith made perfect or complete. Have you got that? In verse 22, see that how faith wrought with his works and by works was faith made perfect or complete. Your faith reaches completion when you begin to act according to what you say you believe. And see, I was praying for healing, but wanting to act sick because that's how I felt. And Jamie made me start acting well. And you know, when I did that within 30 minutes, I was well, I went back and I finished and we got paid that day. It's important. And yet how many people will lay in bed and pop pills and let your wife rub your fevered brow and say in the name of Jesus, by his stripes I'm healed and yet you're acting sick. You know, when I preach this way, there's people that take offense at this because there have been people who took this truth about how important your actions are And so they went out and confessed that I'm healed and quit their insulin and quit their treatments and they die. And they say, see, that was just foolishness and it was presumption. And people look at that and they think, I don't want to be that way. The key to this is the scripture says in Romans chapter 10, verse 10, for with the heart man believes and with the mouth confession is made. You've got to have heart belief and action coupled together. If you are only going to go out and try and imitate somebody who believes, but you aren't believing from your heart, then you can die. You've got to believe it in your heart, but you can't just believe it in your heart. You've also got to act on it. And sometimes we can't tell what's really in your heart. And so there's people that go out and they mimic somebody who's standing in faith and they go and do it. But if they died, it's because they didn't believe with their heart. If you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll see it come to pass. And because some people have abused this and they've only been imitators of people who truly believe God and something negative happens, then people get fearful of that. And you know what? It'd be easier than this is what most people do just to avoid that abuse. They just water down the thing and don't tell you how important it is to act. And so I admit that there have been people that have misrepresented this and there's people that have gone out and have tried it and didn't believe it with their heart. But the truth remains that if you truly believe something with your heart, your faith isn't made perfect until you start acting like you believe you've received. You've got to learn to act and do what God told you to do if you want to see the fulfillment. And there are a lot of people that they are more dominated by what they feel than they are by what they believe. They let their feelings control how they act instead of their faith. 
And I'm telling you that if you are going to ever fulfill God's will for your life, you're going to have to get to a place to where you obey what God tells you to do. If it looks like disaster, if it looks like everybody, you're going to lose every single friend. If it looks like financial ruin, you just have to learn to obey God. Now, it's important that you're truly obeying God and not religion and not listening to the devil and not following your own conscience. And again, I could spend a lot of time trying to put this in context. That's what those two first teachings on the will of God has done. Again, I'd encourage you to get that. But nonetheless, if you have truly heard God and if you have learned how to follow God's will and hear His voice, then ultimately you are going to have to learn to obey if you want to see God's will fulfilled. And so if there is anything in your life that you aren't obeying, I would recommend highly that you start obeying God. Do it. And I've had so many people come and say, well, I wanted to, but I, I just can't do it. That's not true. You can do it. I had my nephew come to me one time and he had had two or three tickets and he was about to get his license taken away and he says, I can't help it, I just drive fast. And I said, that's not true. You could help it. And he said, no, honest, I just do it. And I said, if I was to sit in the back seat with a gun cocked to your head, and if you ever got over 55 miles an hour, I was going to blow your head out. Could you drive less than 55? He said, I certainly could. And I said, see, you could do it. You just lack motivation. You can do it. The truth is, and see, I could spend a lot of time, man, I'm, I'm dealing with a huge issue here. And I'm trying to say this in a very limited amount of time. There's so much more I can say, but our society today has basically excused actions and said, you aren't responsible for your actions. It's because you were raised in a dysfunctional family that you're the jerk that you are. It's because it's your time of the month. It's because you got hormones. It's because you're middle age. It's because who knows, whatever. It's because of the color of your skin. It's because of this. The reason you're this way is because somebody else made you that way. This is the way that our society has approached everything. And now nobody is responsible for anything. I'm telling you that if you want to win, you are going to have to accept responsibility and you are not an evolved animal that is just responding to stimuli. You are a person created in the image of God and you have responsibility for your actions. And quit blaming somebody else. As long as you say it's because I'm a victim, then you can never be a victor. You're going to have to accept responsibility and realize that maybe things have happened to me, but you know what? I had a choice whether I became bitter or better. And maybe other people presented something to me, but I made a wrong choice and it's my fault that I messed up, not somebody else's fault. And you have to accept responsibility. God commanded you to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I believe the reason he said, and again, I say rejoice is because he knew people were going to say, oh, he couldn't have meant what he said. If you're going through a divorce, if somebody died, you can't rejoice. This can't be what it says. So he says, again, I say rejoice just so that you wouldn't misunderstand him. Amen. God would be unjust to command you to rejoice in the Lord always. In the world, you are going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, John 16, I have overcome the world. He admitted you're going to have problems, but be of good cheer. There's a lot of people today, well, I know God told me to rejoice, but I just feel depressed. Pull your thumb out of your mouth and just do it. 
Just start rejoicing. The, the word rejoice is a verb. It's not a noun. A noun is a person, place, or a thing, something you possess. A verb is an action. And you don't have to feel joy to rejoice. You can rejoice through gritted teeth. You can rejoice with tears running down your eyes. You can do what God told you to do regardless of how you feel. And if you would start obeying God, you'd find out that it's like you've got this well on the inside of you, the life of God, the fullness of God. And when you start obeying God, it's like sticking a bucket down in that well and you start drawing out this life of God. And before you know it, you may start through gritted teeth saying, praise God in the name of Jesus. But if you keep doing it, you're going to draw out this life of God that's on the inside of you. And you're going to start seeing some joy and peace. And yet there's not very many Christians today that will go on what the word says and on what God commanded them to do. They're going to go by how they feel. Well, I know I'm supposed to rejoice, but, and then you tell me about what your problem is and go by how you feel. One of the things that distinguishes as an adult from a child is the fact that you just don't go by how you feel. You know, when you were a child, you didn't feel like going to school all the time, but they made you do it and you drug yourself to school and you didn't feel like cleaning up your room and you didn't feel like doing things. But as you become an adult, did you know one of the things that separates you is that you don't always feel like going to work, but you know you need to do it and you're responsible and you do it because it's what you need to do. You don't always feel like being the parent. Sometimes you want to be the child. Sometimes you want to fall down on the floor and throw a fit and say... I didn't ask for this. And yet you're, you're the adult. And so you just act like an adult sometimes when you don't feel like it. But you know, when it comes to emotions, most of us are just letting emotions dictate and dominate us. And I'm telling you, there is so much power in doing something. There's times that I don't feel like praying for people. And used to, when I first started praying for people, if I didn't feel it, if I didn't have a tingling, a goosebump go up and down my spine then I didn't think that God was doing anything. And you know what? Praise God, I had enough sense to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and I just started praying over people. And the Bible says, you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And I just started doing it. And sometimes when I felt absolutely nothing, I have seen some of the greatest miracles because I just did it. Not because I felt it. And I have learned not to go by what I feel. And yet there's many people sitting right here. I know that God didn't lay this on my heart for everybody who didn't come tonight. There are people sitting right here that you aren't doing what the word says. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover because you're waiting on a tingling. You're waiting on an angel. You want to hear a bell ring. You want to have something happen before you do it. God just says, these signs will follow them that believe. You go lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You know why I've seen more people healed than most of you? Because I've laid hands on more people than most of you. I've done it more than most of you. You just need to do it. It's so simple. You aren't going to see... The power of God released in your life until you do what he told you to do. 
And you know, there's things that God has led me to do that I'm in the process of doing. I haven't seen them fulfilled, but I can truthfully say tonight that Jamie and I are doing everything that God has put in our heart. We are in the process of doing it. We are trying to obey. I can't think of anything, and I'm saying this before God with an honest heart, that I can't think of a single thing that God has told me to do that I'm not trying to do. I've already done it or am in the process of doing it. And there's not very many people that can say that. There are people sitting right here that God has spoken things. I had a man come up to me tonight and he said, God told me I was supposed to be in the very first group of Karis Bible College students. And I said, and why didn't you do it? And he said, I just let the devil talk me out of it and I've been through cancer. And he began to name all kinds of things. And I said, you know what? It would have been a lot better for you to obey God and you would have avoided a lot of these problems. We've been going for 16 years. 16 years a man in this auditorium was told by God to come to school and he didn't do it. And some people think, well, we don't do everything God told us to do. If God speaks to you and tells you to do something and if you don't do it, well, then you have obeyed the devil. Whether you recognize it as the devil, you may think it was circumstances. Well, I didn't get my house sold. I couldn't do that. You can, you can say whatever you want to, but if you aren't doing what God told you to do, Satan has a direct inroad into your life to hinder you. And you are not going to prosper giving Satan that direct inroad into your life. Look at this other passage of scripture in 1 Kings chapter 17. I've got an entire teaching on this. I'm going to try and say this very quickly. I'm not going to keep you all night, but this is, this is a powerful truth. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Elijah heard from God, had a word from God, and he acted on it. He went and told Ahab. And you've got to understand the background of this to fully appreciate it because Ahab and his wife Jezebel had outlawed the worship of the Lord, the true God. And they were killing all of the prophets of God. They'd killed hundreds of prophets. And so for Elijah to walk up to Ahab and say, Thus saith the Lord, he immediately was in the crosshairs. It's just like he drew a big target on himself. He was putting his life on the line to say, Thus saith the Lord. But he got a word from God and he acted on it. And you know what? He could have heard from God, but he could have stayed in his prayer closet. And he says, but God, they could kill me. God, you know, I'm, I'm the only one left. You got to have somebody left. And he could have rationalized it. He could have thought about all kinds of things. And if he would have gotten a word from God, and if the drought would have come, they wouldn't have known that it was God that caused it. They could have just thought that it was coincidence. But because he acted on it and said, Thus saith the Lord, there's not going to be rain or dew until I say so. Then when the drought came in the 18th chapter, it says there wasn't a nation on the face of the earth that Ahab hadn't sought for Elijah. And when Elijah showed himself three and a half years later, he walked up to Ahab and he says, you call all of the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove together and the entire nation. And the prophet was telling the king what to do and the king was accepting his instructions. Elijah had become the most dominant man in the entire nation because he heard something from God and did it. If he would have stayed in his prayer closet and just prayed, oh God, let there be a drought. 
none of this would have happened. We wouldn't have known about Elijah. It wouldn't be written in the Word. He heard something and he did it. And notice it says in verse 2, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan, and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. God gave him a promise about his protection, but notice that the promise, the word about how God was going to provide for him, didn't come until he had already obeyed the first word. And this is why so many people don't fulfill. God reveals his will to them, but the thing is, they get to thinking, all right, God, if I do this, how are you going to provide for me? What's going to happen? And they want to see how all of this is going to play out. You know, we've done this with the Bible college students thousands of times. We've had so many people come and say, I know God is speaking to me about the Bible college, but if I go, what am I going to do with my house? What am I going to do with my dogs? What am I going to do with my family? What about my retirement plan? And what about this? And they start thinking about other things. And they say, I know God spoke to me to come, but... And I've had people... I had a guy right here in, in uh, Chicago come and see me. And he says, God told me to come, but his parents told him that this was wrong. And then they, his parents took him to his pastor. And his pastor, when he heard it was my school, he said, that guy's of the devil. This is a cult. Don't go. And then he was going to lose his job and he was going to lose his income and just thing after thing after thing. And he gave me all of this stuff. And he says, but I know God told me to come. What do you think I should do? And I said, you lost me the moment you said God told you. I said, if God told you to come, just do it. I said, if it costs you everything you've got, do it. Well, but, but, but nothing. If God told you to do it, do it. Well, I don't know how to do it. Well, you can pray and ask for wisdom and stuff, but do it. There's been lots of times God has told me to do something and I had to say, God, I don't even know how to do it. Show me. And you have to get some wisdom to head in that direction. But I can truthfully say that when God shows me something, I'm going to do it. It is not debatable. You've got to do it. And God didn't make the provision for Elijah until he had observed the first word and acted on it. It's the same point I said earlier that God won't show you step two through ten until you obey one. And there are some of you saying, all right, God, I know you want me to do this, but how is it going to work? And, and what's the end result going to be? God is not going to make provision for you and take care of things until you do it. And it was after Elijah obeyed the first word and acted on it that God says, now go here. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Not here, there. God sent Elijah's provision there. It's like in football. You don't throw the football to the receiver where he is. You throw the, the football to where the receiver is going to be. You lead him. You throw it to a place out in front of him. God isn't sending your provision to you. He's sending your provision to where he told you to be. And if God has told you to do something, if God has told you to start your own company, if God has told you to step out in faith and begin start doing something, whatever God has told you to do, you aren't going to see the provision here. You're going to see it there. And there's some people saying, all right, God, you give me the provision. You, you give me everything I need and then I'll go do. No, God is going to send your provision there. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. 
The reason that you aren't seeing the provision is God is because you aren't all there. You're too much here. You got to obey. You got to go and do. You know, we moved into the building that we're in. And anyway, it's a long story, but it was a miracle. It was a miracle. The utilities on the building we're in are more than our, you know, uh, all of our... um, Payments on the other building. I mean, it was just the utilities on the building we're in is a major step. We had to have millions of dollars come in. And at the rate we had been growing, it could have taken me a hundred years to raise enough money to finish out that building. But God told me to do it. He told me I was thinking too small. And you know what? We stepped out in long story, but in 14 months... We had $3.2 million come in and we paid cash and we got that thing done. And if I would have said, all right, God, I'll do it. If you'll give me the $3.2 million, then I'll obey you and I'll do it. No, God told me to take a step first. I stepped out in faith first. I obligated myself. I said, if the banks come back to me tomorrow and want to loan me all of the money I need, I will not accept it because God told me my partners are going to supply. And I made that decision. And did you know, after I went there to a place of faith, then the provision came. We're in a situation right now where we've taken a $40 million step. And you know what? Some people think, Do you have it? No, but I've been told to go there and my provision is there. And the closer I get to there, the greater I'll see my provision. And you just hide and watch. We're going to do it. Amen. It'll, it'll all come to pass. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you got to obey. If Elijah would have stayed in his prayer closet and said, God, thank you for showing me that you're sending a drought. Nobody would have recognized it was God. They just would have been bitter. They would have cursed God. They would have gone on. But because he obeyed God, it put him in the driver's seat. He saw the greatest revival that had ever happened in the world up until this time. And he didn't get the word about his provision and how God was going to provide for him until he obeyed the first word. And then he obeyed that. And then God took care of him. And then God sent him to Zarephath to a widow woman and commanded him to feed him there. That was his new place called there. That was her place called there. They were supplied supernaturally for three years. And then her son was raised from the dead. And then he called fire down out of heaven and an entire revival broke out. Did you know all of that started by a guy just getting a word from God and he acted on it. God has spoken to every person in here. Some of you think, well, I'm not sure he's spoken to me. He's spoken to you. If you're born again, you can't be born again except the Holy Spirit draws you. He had to first of all speak to you and convict you. And he has given you a revelation that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and that if you'll believe on him, you can be saved. You've got a word from God that is superior to people's word about God that don't know him. You've got a word from God and you just need to be bold to speak it. If you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you've had a word from God. And you know what? I was talking to a woman tonight who was just so beat down and so discouraged. And I said, you act like you're powerless, like there's nothing you can do. And she said, yes, that's exactly the way it is. And I said, are you born again? Oh, yes. Are you baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues? Yes. And I tell you, I just wanted to shake her. Like... 
you've got the power of God. You've got the same power that raised Christ from the dead on the inside of you. When you pray in tongues, it's just like flipping a switch and boom, the motor comes on and the power begins to flow. And I said, you are a spirit-filled, born-again person. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Why are you letting sickness dominate you? Why are you depressed and discouraged? And see, a lot of you think, well, I'm spirit-filled, I'm born again, and yet I've got all of these problems. It's because you aren't acting on the word that God has given you. You don't understand that you have the same power on the inside of you that raised Christ from the dead. It's not out there in heaven someplace. It's on the inside of you. You just aren't acting on the words. You aren't doing. When you speak in tongues, it says this is the rest and this is the refreshing. There are some of you that are discouraged and need to be encouraged and refreshed. All you got to do is speak in tongues and stand on Isaiah chapter 28. This is the rest. This is the refreshing. Speak in tongues and I guarantee you, it'll get you fired up. It'll get you stirred up. Jesus said, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You've got the same power on the inside of you that created the heavens and the earth, that raised Jesus from the dead. You've got more than enough power. The problem is we aren't acting in faith on what we're doing. I bet you that there are Christians in this room right now that have had the Holy Spirit for years and it has been years since you've spoken in tongues. And then you wonder, why is it that I'm not encouraged? He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. 1 Corinthians 14, 4. You edify, it means promote spiritual growth. Build yourself up spiritually. There's some of you who are wanting spiritual growth and yet you don't use what you got. You aren't doing. you got to obey. God has given us the equipment. You are the one who's the winner. But you got to start doing it. you got to act on it. Most Christians come to God as a beggar. Oh God, we are nothing. We have nothing. Would you please move? That's unbelief. You need to find out who you are and recognize that God, thank you that you moved on the inside of me. You have your power on the inside of me. And Father, I'm going to stir it up. I'm going to stir up. The scripture says, stir up the gift that is in you. If you don't stir yourself up, you're going to settle to the bottom. And you know what it is? It's causing people to settle to the bottom and keeping us from living in victory because we aren't doing what God has told us to do. We don't build ourselves up on our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost and keep ourselves in the love of God. Jude chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. He told you to keep yourself in the love of God. Most people are saying, oh God, could you please touch me and just let your love flow. God has already put his love on the inside of you. Galatians 5.16, or excuse me, Galatians um, 5.23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, etc. He's already put his love on the inside of you. God has put it in. He says, it's he that works in you. Now work out your own salvation. You got to stir it up. You got to start doing it. And you know how you do it? You, when you start acting, you stick that bucket down on the inside of you that is created in the image of God. And you start drawing out this power by speaking in tongues, by doing things. If God tells you to do something, do it. Amen. If it costs you everything in the world. Moses went down and obeyed God, went into Egypt to bring the children of Israel out. And on the way, he had a fight with his wife. And she left and went back home. And when he went to Egypt, he was separated 
His marriage was on the rocks. And he just went down and saw the greatest deliverance that the world has ever seen and split the Red Sea and did all of these things while his wife had gone back home to daddy. They were separated. But you know what? He did what God told him to do, even if it cost him his wife. And praise God, God eventually brought them back together and they reconciled and and it worked out. But you know what? He did what God told him to do, even if it cost him his wife. I believe God wants marriages to work. But I'm saying that we just put so many things. God, I'll obey you if. I'll obey if this person does this. If the finances come in. If you show me a visible sign. If I, all of these things. You just need to get to where you do what God told you to do. Is there something in your life that he's told you to do and you aren't doing it? Man, you ought to make a decision before this night's out. I'm going to do it. You know, one of the things that changed my life is Romans 14, 23, which says, He that doubts is damned if he eats, because whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And I was in a situation where I felt like God had given me a direction for my life, but when I said it, everybody, everybody that I knew said, This is the devil. They criticized me. I was brand new in the Lord. And because of other people, I wasn't doing what I felt God had called me to do. And I finally saw that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And I I went home and I said, I am not going to be in sin tomorrow. I'm making a decision. And I'm going to do something. And if it costs me, everybody I know, I will obey God. And you know, when I made that decision, I can't tell you how important that was to what God has done in my life. It changed my life. It caused me to be drafted and sent to Vietnam. Could have killed me. It cost me money. It cost me friends. It cost me everything. And yet it was one of the greatest decisions I ever made in my life. And it all came down to that I am not going to be in sin tomorrow. I am not going to have something in my heart that I feel God has told me to do that I'm not acting on. And when I decided to start doing it, I tell you what, my life changed dramatically. There are some of you here that you may not have step 10 yet, but you got step one. You've got something that God has been impressing on your heart and you haven't done it for whatever reason. And it doesn't matter what the reason is. It's not a good enough reason. You need to do it. And if you aren't totally sure, well then do it partially. Start. Move in that direction. It's like a boat. If you move it, then the rudder can give it some direction. But if you sit still, you can flip the rudder 360 degrees and it won't give any direction to that boat. If you aren't sure what God has told you to do, don't go full steam ahead. Just move in that direction. Make a step. Test the waters and let God confirm or show you, no, you misunderstood. But don't stay still. Do something. Faith without works is dead. You're only deceiving your own self. You give place to demonic deception. Every time you fail to act on what God says, it puts a layer of deception between you and God. Do what God told you to do. Do it. What part of do it do we not understand? Do it. Let me just make sure that I've got the right group. Is there anybody here that this spoke to tonight that God has shown you something and you haven't been doing it and tonight you're going to say, I'm going to do it. Anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand.
We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.